0: Did you know that the Bible teaches that what is restraining evil in the world is the presence of the church of Jesus Christ? You think there's mess now? It's the restraining work of the Spirit. So when the church is taken out of the world, that restraint will be loosened. It will be gone.
1: When was the last time you thought about the end of life as we know it? Well, the Christmas story records the first coming of Jesus as a baby, but the Bible predicts a time when the Lord Jesus Christ will come again to receive those both dead and alive who have accepted God's redemption plan, those who have been born again. Well, things will change a whole lot in a very short amount of time, and it can happen whenever. Welcome to Living a Legacy, featuring the Bible-teaching ministry of Crawford-Loretz. Well, today we'll head to Matthew chapter 24 for a look at end-time events. A large percentage of the Bible is prophecy, so it's probably a good idea for us to understand what these prophetic events are and when they are to occur. If you're new to our broadcast, here's some information about our teacher. Crawford has been in Christian ministry for over 50 years, serving as a pastor, missionary, seminary professor, speaker, and author. His books include Make It Home Before Dark, Your Marriage Today and Tomorrow, and Leadership as an Identity. He's been our teacher on Living a Legacy for nearly 20 years now. Today, Crawford heads the Christian mentoring ministry known as Beyond Our Generation. Well, Jesus promised that one day he would return for his saints, and let's find out what Matthew chapter 24 has to say about it. Here's Crawford Lauretz on Living a Legacy.
0: I got, I got convicted this past week as I was uh, studying this text here, and what, what convicted me was um, an amazing lack and a neglect that those of us who preach the Bible, um, an oversight that we make, and I don't think we do it consciously, but hang in there with me, uh, did you know that conservatively 25 percent of the bible is prophecy some say up to a third of the bible has to do with prophecy and part of the problem that we have as christians is that we have conditioned ourselves to think so transactionally about our christianity so so now so what have you done for me lately so so how, how, how have you helped me solve my anger problem or my, my, my issue with my teenager or my issue in my marriage or managing my money? That we have been complicit in the development of a superficiality that's hurting us. I'm going to use a French term because it, it just, I can't think of an English expression that captures it better. The raison d'etre of the Christian life is found in an eternal perspective. The substance of Christianity is not found just simply in what we can apply now, where I can see the immediate payoff. And I, I fear that our brand of Christianity has edited out the very thing that gives us stability and, 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 and a sense of rootedness and, and a sense of, of divine relevance because we're living for a time that we cannot see. So as we look at Matthew chapter 24, it might be, it might be easy in your mind to just write it off. Hey, let me just oh, lean back and you know, tell me when it's over. But this is a text of Scripture where Jesus dives deep into a a seven-year-specific period of time, and he explains it to his disciples. In fact, this narrative here in Matthew 24 is triggered by two questions that the disciples raised. Now, even before I get into the passage, I need to to say something here. I'm going to hold this with an open hand. No church, no church, no church should ever split over prophecy. This should never split over prophecy. There, there are various views, and, and I need to say this to Matthew chapter twenty-four. I have friends of mine who are godly, and that I, I they minister to me, and we 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 labor together. We see this text differently. Uh, there are some who view Matthew chapter twenty-four as stuff that is already passed. They happen to buy what an amillennial position, meaning that there is no millennial uh, kingdom, that the stuff that is mentioned in Matthew chapter 24 has already taken place, and I'm going to use a name Antiochus Epiphanes who desecrated the temple, and that's what he's talking about historically. And so Jesus, this, this, it doesn't exist. Then there are those who say, no, 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 Matthew chapter 24 is really not about the tribulation period at all, but it's just sort of a general overview and hinting at future things, and Jesus is sort of jumping along. Um, I don't buy that at all because as you read the text, there is a specific flow and specific things that he's building on. Then there are those who say that, you know, there is no rapture of the church as such, that, um, you know, we're going to go through, all of us are going to go through this tribulation period, including believers. If you're alive, you're going to go through this time on the earth. There's no such thing as a rapture. We're all going to experience this together. Then there are those who hold to a mid tribulation period rapture, meaning the church will be taken out of the world after three and a half years. And when there's the, and I'll mention something later on, there's an event that takes place. And, you know, and actually, I find if I wasn't where I am right now, I do find the mid trib view a little inviting, just to say, but I'm not there yet. Now, again, no church should split over that. Now, 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 if you say that there's no second coming, now that's a problem. Jesus is coming back, and that is a core issue to Christianity because the whole viability of everything that he says, if, if you say that there is no second coming and this is it, then I don't think you can be authentically Christian because he says he's coming back. Now, how you look at these things and all of that, it's, it's, it's really, really kind of like up to you. But since I have the microphone, I do have a view, okay? <laughs> and I'm going to share my view. And, uh, and I, again, I hold this a bit with an open hand. And I'm going to do something a little bit different today. Normally, after each of the messages I have near the end, I come up with a sense of application that, that I draw from implications from the passage. I'm not going to do that today because Jesus gives his own application in Matthew chapter 24. And uh, he, he, he tells us, How to think about this by using three pictures at the very end the picture of a fig tree, the picture of Noah, and the picture of a thief. And we'll get back to that later on. Now, the way to understand Matthew chapter 24 is that this is sort of God's trailer for future things, coming attractions. He's forecasting what is going to take place. And Jesus is actually comforting his disciples. By letting them know, no, 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 God is not asleep at the switch. The future doesn't take him by surprise. He's not reacting to human history. He's orchestrating human history. And you need to hear that today. God is not reacting to the world. God is involved. And I didn't say he initiates evil. But he knows exactly what's going on and everything that's happening in human history is playing into the plan and program of god everything is playing into the plan and program of god so i think that's the way which you have to walk through matthew matthew chapter chapter 20 24 now jesus is giving his disciples a specific glimpse into a specific time frame in the future and as we look at matthew 24 that's that's how we have to think He's talking about a specific time frame in the future. This is not a swampish text on bits and pieces of future things. Now, this is very specific in Matthew chapter, chapter 24. Now, again, the disciples ask a question in verse 3, and Jesus spends the rest of, rest of chapter 24 answering, not just, it actually, asks two questions, answering those, those two questions. I want to pick it up in verse 1. It says... Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, you see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And again, if you're familiar with history, uh, Antiochus Epiphanes in AD 70 destroyed the temple. But clearly, as you walk through this text, that's not the destruction of the temple that Jesus is talking about because the temple was rebuilt and will be rebuilt in the future. He's talking about a desecration, a prophetic word, and I'll mention this later on, from Daniel chapter 9 that will take place during this time of great tribulation. It is the seventh week, and each one of those week, uh, days, represents a year. And so there are seven years that he's talking about, and Jesus is speaking in reference to this, and he's going to come back to it later on in in the narrative. Now, the question that they raise in verse 3, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Handle age first. That term age is used to to mean the end of human history that we know of and the beginning of God's judgment. Uh, The Bible calls that the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is not a particular day, but it is an era. It is that time right, right after beginning with the rapture of the church and going through the millennial kingdom. That is the day of the Lord. Huge chunk of the day of the Lord deals with judgment. So when they talk about the end of the age, they're talking about the beginning of the reign, the beginning of retribution, the beginning of judgment, the beginning of the day of, of the Lord here. So they raise a question. I want to point out something. I share with my friends who want to use this text as to refer to the church. I say, show me the church in the passage. Uh, Historically, the church doesn't exist yet. It it doesn't come into the world until after the resurrection of Jesus, and Jesus is ascended into heaven after the day of Pentecost. That is the inauguration of the church. So, this section has nothing to do with the church, Notice the questions that the disciples, the questions that the disciples asked, they had had to do with Jerusalem, Israel, and the Lord's second coming. So when we read terms, and I'm going to define this like elect here or taken here, those are not phrases uh, meaning taken out of the world, meaning, meaning the rapture of the church. It, 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 has, it has to do with what's going to happen during a specific period of time. Matthew 24, Jesus is discussing events that will take place during the time of tribulation. Seven-year period. And if you don't read it that way, the way in which the author, I, I, in the way in which Matthew outlines it, you're going to come up with some real interesting, interesting conclusions. So let me just summarize something, and because it's important here, bear with me. Uh, What will take place? As a church of Jesus Christ, uh, we could be taken out of the world before I finish this next sentence. Nothing else needs to take place. There's no other signs. There's nothing else that needs to be fulfilled. We could be taken out of the world, raptured out of this world before I finish this next sentence. And so when the church is raptured out of the world, it's taken out of the world. Also, the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit is taken out of the world. Did you know that the Bible teaches that what is restraining evil in the world is the presence of the church of Jesus Christ? Did you know that? What's stopping all hell from breaking loose? You think there's mess now? What's, what's, What's keeping the lid somewhat On the evil that's happening in the world is the presence of the Spirit of God that's what Thessalonians is all about it's the restraining work of the Spirit so when the church is taken out of the world that restraint will be loosened it will be gone and thus will usher in the seven-year period called the Great Tribulation where literally all hell and chaos will break out and we're gonna walk through this in a few moments and at the end of the great tribulation Jesus will come back, defeat his enemies and establish the kingdom, a thousand-year reign, the millennial kingdom of Christ where we're we'll rule and reign with him on the earth and by the way, we will come back with him. So that's sort of a brief summary, the slice of the pie that Jesus is addressing, the segment that he's addressing here is not the rapture of the church and not even the details of the millennial kingdom. He is talking about that time of judgment called the great tribulation. Now, you know, uh, as you walk through this this passage, uh, I'm a very simple person. I was trying to say, okay, what is the movement of the text? I don't have a fancy outline, but it is masterful how Jesus delivers this discourse. Masterful. If you look at it in terms of the flow of the narrative you'll discover that jesus really is outlining the three periods of time during the great tribulation he's outlining that and it's sequential right here in the narrative he he, he talks about the beginning of the tribulation the middle of the tribulation and the end of the tribulation first of all he talks about the beginning of the great the great tribulation It is marked, the beginning of it is marked by pain. Pain. Look down at verse 8, if you will. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. It's like a woman going in labor. And throughout the scriptures, and I'll just give you two passages, throughout the scripture, labor pain is a picture of tribulation and judgment. Uh, Isaiah 13, verses 6 through 11, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 3, uh, this period of time is called pain, labor pains, and rightly so when you think about the picture, because what is going to, what is going to happen, it will give birth, if you will, to the dra- dramatic entrance of the Savior, labor pains. Now, I, I obviously am not a woman, and I don't purport to know what labor pains personally are all about. And... <laughs> Every time I complain about something that the doctor does to me in my physical exam, my wife says, shut up. <laughs> you know, but uh, I, I do remember, and I, I was thinking about this this week, my, my, my son, oldest son, shares a birthday with me. We were born on February 11th, and I would just, just this past week, I was thinking about, uh, I remember, you know, vividly, the night that we were supposed to go to hospital with Brian, it's the evening of February 10th, 1973. when there's in this little apartment in Norristown, Pennsylvania. I was, I was kind of like studying for this little message I was given the next day for this youth thing that I was speaking in. Well, we lived about 40 minutes away from this place called Media, Pennsylvania, Riddle Memorial Hospital, where Brian was born. And, uh, and the doctor had told us that uh, when the labor pains, so I told Karen, when, the, when, when she, the contractions are 10 minutes apart, get moving toward the hospital. So I'm in my little study slash nursery there doing my little study thing. And, and I come out and I look at Karen. She's got this three by five card with these time things. I said, what, what, are, you, what are you doing? She said, I, I, I think I'm in labor. I said, you think you're in labor? I said, ah, well, how far are the contractions? He said, well, I, they're like two minutes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we made it to the hospital in 20 minutes so <laughs> and the rest of that story is this I ain't got nothing to do with the message but I need to finish the story uh the rest of the story is this you know that was back in the day where they, the, the hottest thing was the Lamaze classes anybody remember that stuff The Lamaze classes and they show the picture of the baby you know, delivery that was gross I'm sorry you know <laughs> My daughter's an OBGYN, and she says it's beautiful. I said, it's gross. So, but I had gone through all of that, and I was, like, dropped Karen off. By the time I got finished signing, I was excited to go up there and put my little stuff on. I get up there before I can go, and the doctor says, congratulations, you're the father of an eight-pound baby boy. Our first response was, all those Tuesday evenings. <laughs> so, <laughs> labor pains, labor pains, labor pains. And the the, the tribulation is going to begin with labor pains. Pain will dominate that period of time. That's the operative expression. Pain dominates those seven years. Excruciating pain starts off gradual, and then it escalates into a mess. The second thing that will describe the first part of the tribulation will be the escalation of problems. That's verses 4 through 13. Don't have time to read all of that, but I'll click them off, the nature of those things. Jesus says there's going to be religious deception like you would not believe. People are going to just be confused. They're going to be buying all kinds of stuff. They'll be gullible because of the increase of pain. There'll be wars breaking out all over the place. Nothing like what we see right now. You won't even be able to respond. You won't even have any game plan. Everywhere you turn, there's going to be wars and conflict taking place. Thirdly, there's going to be famines. We're going to be running out of food, running out of water, running out of all of these things. It's going to take place in the first part. There's going to be deaths, martyrs, worldwide chaos. That's verses 10 through 13. Systems will be non-existent. Governments will be collapsing. Nothing will work consistently. By the way, it's setting the stage for the Antichrist to come. Not only will this be a, a time of pain and the escalation of problems, but it would also be a time, believe it or not, of unprecedented proclamation of the gospel. Verse 14 says, "And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations." And then the end will come. Listen to me. Listen to me. Listen to me. This this is a verse that's been quoted and taken out of context. I've heard it quoted at missionary conferences. In fact, I've seen this as the theme of missionary conferences. I've heard preachers stand up and say stuff like and I've read books where guys have written books and chapters on this verse talking about the unfinished task. And that before Jesus comes back, that means that we've got we've to share the gospel with every person around the world. Newsflash, newsflash. This does not apply to us right now. There's not another person that needs to be won to Christ before the church is raptured. Be very careful of taking a verse out of its context here. He's not, he's talking about a period of time here. What he's talking about is what will take place during the great tribulation period. It's going to be a time of the unprecedented spread of the gospel. Really, really the commentary on this is Revelation chapter 7 verses 1 through 8 during the great tribulation period there are going to be 144,000 jewish evangelists and as you read that text what takes place the ellipsis there between verse 8 and verse 9 is that there there is a number a crowd that no man could number The, the the great tribulation period is going to be one of the greatest the greatest times of evangelism and response to the gospel ever in the history of the church and so what, what, what Jesus is doing is that, is saying is that while this demonic antichrist is thinking that he's ruling supreme and defeating the purposes of God, even during a time of judgment, I'm going to get glory. And so when you read that, that text, that this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Yes, the end will come after the seven years after that gospel of the kingdom is proclaimed. So that's the first part.
1: And Crawford will get to the middle part of the tribulation, verses 15 through 22, next week. You've been listening to Living a Legacy, featuring the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Crawford Loretz. As Crawford said, many believers hold various positions about end-time events, but we can all be unified in this. Jesus is going to come again, and we need to make sure we're living our lives so as not to be ashamed should He come today. We're always grateful to hear how God is using these messages in your walk with Christ. Here's an email from David. My life has been transformed by the sermons of Dr. Loretz. I can't thank him or your team enough. I had spent my life as a believer on the fence, so to speak, and had never had the point-driven home of being a truly dedicated believer, as well as a true role model for my only child, my daughter. I have joined a church and am learning how to be a great father. Thank you so much. Wow, so great to hear how God is challenging and encouraging listeners with the truth of His Word. And we'd love to hear from you, too. Here's our email address, legacy at moody.edu. Legacy at moody.edu. Just a couple of sentences would be a tremendous encouragement to us. Crawford's messages are available to listen to again on our website. Visit livingalegacy.org. Thanks for listening. For Crawford Loritz, I'm Bill Davis. This program is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.